This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When all those people, Jewish people, heard each one of those Ten Commandments, they hung their heads lower and they said, I'm guilty of that one, I'm guilty of that one. And they became terrified of the judgment. And all that was the whole process of the law, the process of the law is to bring the people to show them how much they need grace and mercy and for God to save them. And the law came by Moses, but grace and truth, it comes by Jesus Christ. And so the law was condemning them And it says in Galatians 3.24, Galatians 3.24, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law is a schoolmaster saying, come on now, come on now, come on now. I got to bring you to Christ now. I'm sitting over here trembling. I don't want to hear God. Well, come over here. And the people heard the law. They said, I'm guilty. What can I do? And the law, like the teacher says, just take my hand. Take my hand. I'll bring you to Christ. He's the source of grace and mercy for all the lawbreakers. And so the law became, as the hymn says, by God's word, at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great, grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. See, that's the purpose of God's law. It was to show the people how far they were from being righteous and to lead them to Christ. And the Pharisees taught that the law was given at Mount Sinai, but also the the oral law was given there. And with the oral law, no problem. You just do what we say. And that set up the conflict between the law and God and the Pharisees. Because God meant that the written law engraved in two tablets of stone, I mean, how much more written can you get than that, was to lead the people to Christ to save them from the violations of the law. And the Pharisees meant that the oral law was to lead the people to the Pharisees to tell them how they could keep the law and be righteous. 
And all that was hypocrisy because inside the Pharisees, like all men, they were sinners and they claimed to be righteous. And that's the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that the Lord Jesus was warning about in verse 6. And it made the people feel so good to feel righteous. Oh, at last. I don't want to live anymore under shame and guilt. Who does? For breaking the law, it feels just so much good because just I like to hear, I'm okay, you're okay. That's nice. And that's a dangerous leaven. A dangerous leaven that makes the people feel so good that they're really good. And that leaven is referred to in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven that you might be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. See, if a person believes that he's righteous, that glorying is no good and because then he has no need for Christ. But he gets rid of that, that leaven, then all of a sudden, what do I do? And then the answer is Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. See, it's only as he sees himself as a sinner, as a person sees him, going to run to Christ. Otherwise, why bother? And that's a very dangerous leaven. It spreads throughout. Leaven's so small at first, but it just throughout the whole amount of dough. And the leaven of the Pharisees is the oral law, which say that it was given at Mount Sinai, and, it, or, and they say it was given at Mount Sinai, the oral law, and they say, miracle of miracles, it's remained unchanged, even though it was not written down for millennia, and it was passed from one person to another, maybe as many as 100 people. Try that. Tell that to one person. Let them pass it on to 100 people and see if it just comes out just pristine in just the way you originally told. That's nonsense. They say that the oral law is infallible and it's just as important as the written law and it hasn't changed at all. As a matter of fact, they say it's above the written law because it interprets the written law. Leaven will not stand still. It is by nature, it will spread, it will act, it will grow. You say to a person, you're really a good person or you really can become a good person. And that belief, it will spread like wildfire. And that's why the Lord uses the symbol of leaven in verse 6. Now, now, how did the disciples receive that in verse 7? That's the question. Verse 7. Well, they reasoned among themselves saying, oh, it's because we have taken no bread. <laughs> so the Greek word reasoned is interesting because another place where that word is used, reasoned, is in Mark 9.33. Mark 9.33. He came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed, is the word, disputed among yourselves, by the way, and they held their peace, for by the way, they disputed among themselves who should be greatest. So the word reasoned is the same word it's used in Mark 9, 33 and 34. They're arguing which one's the greatest one. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, you not. No, I'm better. See? And that's that was translated disputed. So what it's saying here in verse 7, in verse 7, when it says they reason among themselves, they're arguing among themselves. So it means that it's your fault that we don't have any bread. You are the one who has brought the bread before. Yeah, but you're the one who has the responsibility. Yeah, but you're the one who always remember things, and you should remember. That's what they were doing. See, after he says, is beware of the leaven of father, he's trying to bring them up to higher level, that just starts a big argument among them. No one was thinking that he was warning about something totally different. They're blaming each other. He thinks, oh, yeah, he's blaming us because we forgot bread. Well, it's your fault. That's where they went. So now the Lord listens to their angst about this, and he's thinking to himself, 
again, you know, he's going like this, you know, you can see him sighing. He's going, what can I do? How can I get my followers to be on the same page as I'm thinking about? You know, it's the problem of the Pharisees. They're all wrapped up over bread. So he's trying to get them to focus. And so the disciples hear 11, and they're all just concerned about they forgot. Okay. So now when we read in verse 8 that the Lord perceived, it says he perceived what they were talking about. And it's interesting when you do look at his ability to perceive, as we just read about it, Hebrews 4.13, Hebrews 4.13, the next two verses are very nice. In Hebrews 13, it says, as we saw, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto him with the eyes of whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. If we only had that verse, Hebrews 4.13, that's pretty bad news. You know, he sees straight through us, we're naked, uh, we got to be judged by him. That's not good. But there are verses 13 and 14. So verse 13 is like Moses coming down from the Mount Sinai. He's got the law in his hands. It's all bad news. They're hanging their head. They're getting farther away. Guilty, guilty, guilty. But, and they're asking the question, what can we do? What can we do? And I mean, because verse 13 just says that who we re- Jesus sees that we really are who we are, dirty, rotten sinners. That's bad news. But verses 14 and 15 immediately follow, which explains to us that not only is the Lord Jesus the all-knowing judge, because that's what Hebrews 4.13 is saying, but the next verses say that he is the all-compassionate priest, and he helps us. In other words, he's both our judge and our lawyer. You couldn't get a better lawyer in a court than the judge himself. So this is that, that's what I was telling you. All right, now coming back to him trying to get his disciples to focus on the important things. Instead of first bringing the disciples in line with what he's focused on and talking about, which is the leaven of the Pharisees, the Lord decides to engage in what they're focused on, which was their anxiety over not bringing bread. And so he says to them in verse 8, in verse 8, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because you brought no bread? You not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousands, how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of four thousand, how many baskets you took up? So in getting on their page of just being anxious over the lack of bread, first of all, he addresses them, O ye of little faith. That's what he calls them. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to be called little faith. That's not good. The Lord, no, that's not good. And by the way, this isn't the first time that he has called someone a little faith. And if you, we go back over the pattern of the times when he did say that, we get an idea of what it means. You know, there was a time when he called Peter a little faith in Matthew 14.25. Matthew 14.25, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a spirit. They cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it's I, be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, Peter was afraid, beginning to sink. Peter cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus put forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore dost thou doubt? So Peter's doing fine. He's obeying the Lord. He's walking on the water to come to Christ. And, and Peter takes his eyes off the Lord, and he looks and says, boy, this is strong wind out here. And he looks down, and he says, these are pretty big waves. And he doubts, 
and the Lord says, oh, thou little faith. The issue with Peter was that he doubted if the Lord really was going to save him. I mean, you know, in other words, the Lord could have been saying to Peter, Peter, I've told you, I've been training you. I have such a great work for you to do. Do you really think I'm going to let you drown right out here now and end it all? And same when the disciples woke the Lord up in the ship in Matthew 8.23, Matthew 8.23, where it says when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. His disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. He saith unto them, Why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the sea. That was a, you really think that I was going to let you die out here at sea? Little faith in me to control the sea. Little faith in me to keep you from sinking in the water, Peter. And now, he similar thing. You really think I brought you out here and I, I had compassion on those multitudes. I said, I don't want to send them away hungry, so you think I'm going to do that to you? So the Lord now asks in this verses 8 through 11, four penetrating questions. He asks them four penetrating questions. First question, oh, you little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because you've brought no bread? That's the first question. Second question, verse 9, how many baskets did you take up with the feeding of the 5,000? Third question, verse 10, verse 10, how many baskets did you take up with regard to the feeding of the 4,000? And then the question, how is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? So the first question, why are you arguing because you didn't take any bread? I mean, the Lord knew at the time, and they knew that he knew at the time when they were forgetting to bring bread, and, and he could have said at that time, uh, boys, don't forget the bread. You know, Oh, yeah, we were, you know, I know you're all tired and you're stressed out because we just went through this opposition with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but uh, let me remind you about the bread. Okay, but he decided to let them forget. And the disciples should have figured out, you know, he knows everything, and he let us forget to bring bread. We... There's an adventure coming, you know, how he's going to provide the bread. We already saw a couple of those. We've got to get ready, boys. This is going to be exciting to see what he's going to do now. And that's kind of what he's asked. And now the second question, he brings them back to the time when he fed the 5,000 with the five loaves. And he asked them uh, exactly how many baskets did you fill up with the leftovers? And that's questions. And it's interesting to know this how many questions that he's asked twice in this passage. Because he also did that. When he fed all those people there, it's very interesting. In Mark 6, Mark 6.35, Mark 6.35, when it says, the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desert place, time is far past, send them away, the people, that they may go into the country of brown about and in the villages, buy themselves bread, they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, give you them to eat. They say unto him, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, this is the interesting thing, he saith unto them, how many loaves have you? Go and see. When they knew it, they say five and two fishes. He commanded them all to sit down in companies upon green grass. They sit down in ranks, hundreds, fifties. He'd taken the five loaves, two fishes. He looks up to heaven, blesses, breaks the loaves, gives them to his disciples, set before them, two fishes divided him among them. They did all eat and they were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments of the fishes. That's another detail. And the fishes. So it's interesting that before the Lord multiplies this bread that's going to feed the 5,000, he has them to go count it up in, in, in Mark 6.38. It's comical. How many loaves have you? Go and see, he says. Don't give me an estimate. Go give me an exact count. 
<laughs> I need Zach out. What difference did it make? What difference did it make? Was he going to say, oh, you only got four loaves? I can't feed 5,000 with four loaves. Oh, what are you doing? How could you only have four? I need five. <laughs> that wasn't the idea. The whole issue with boys, go give me an inventory. Go give me an exact account of the loaves. Don't just tell me what you think you have, but go count them. Because he wanted to emphasize the miracle. He wanted there to be no doubt. Same thing happened when he fed the 4,000 in Matthew 15, 34. Matthew 15, 34. Jesus, the second miracle. Jesus saith unto them, how many loaves have ye? And they said seven and a few little fishes. In both of these events, he wanted them to count up the loaves that they had before he multiplied them. And so he wants them to, I want you to focus on numbers. I want you to focus on numbers. It was five loaves and 5,000, and most importantly, 12 baskets at the end. So he wants them to think about five, five, 12. Remember, five loaves feed 5,000 and 12 baskets are left over at the end. He wants them to focus on it. And he wants them to like meditate on that. Five loaves fed 5,000 and then there were 12 baskets left over. Get impressed with it. No way could five loaves feed 5,000 people. And there was more than 5,000. Anyway, and then the numbers. Seven loaves, 4,000 and Seven baskets taken up at the end. Again, you know, he wants them to see probability means nothing to me. I will break down the barricades of probability. What's the probability that five loaves can feed 4,000 people? Actually, the words, it's interesting, the words for baskets here in verse 9 is a different Greek word for basket in verse 10. In verse 9, basket means a basket, small basket. But in verse 10, it's a hamper. It's a big so he wants them to be meditating on, on the details of these uh, miracles. You know, the, the four loaves, that 5,000, and the 12 baskets, and the seven loaves that feed 7,000, and seven hampers full. And so it's so strange that he thinks it's so strange that you're anxious about food when I did all that. I mean, after all, the person who had multiplied those loaves was sitting there with them, and they're worried about, where are we going to get bread? Oh, it's a big problem. We don't have any loaves. He can't do it unless he has loaves. Well, we do have one loaf. Well, I don't know if you can do 12 people with one loaf. He did four. He did 4,000 for four loaves. It was so ridiculous. But he really was rebuking them for not being aware of his style of teaching, of the typical way that he taught. Because when you were with Christ, you understood that the way he taught was from the scene, the scene around him, and then he taught about the unseen. This was his mode. This is the way he taught. He taught by using seen things to teach about unseen things. I mean, when you really think about that, then you really have to get into the question. It raises the question, what's this world all about anyway? How are we to see the world? Well, when you follow Christ, you see the world with a bunch of like unto's. You know, leaven is like unto the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know, seed is like unto the gospel that's, that starts out small and gets big like a mustard seed and so forth. It's all a bunch of like unto's. So, and when you get into this thinking of the like unto's, which is what he was doing all the time, it raises the mundane 
to a level of monumental. All of a sudden, it's like, leaven. I thought it was just Fleischmann. You go to the store, you buy Fleischmann, you know. No, no, no. The leaven is like, whoa, look at how it spreads doctrine. You know? And how does that happen? How does that happen for us? Well, the hymn says it well. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. And Christ is constantly misunderstood because he's doing this constantly and people are, are not understanding his teaching because they don't understand what he's doing. He speaks about himself as the bread of life and they're scratching their head saying, where's the bread? I don't see any dough. See, John 6.30, John 6.30. They said, therefore unto them, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe? What doest thou? Our fathers ate manna in the, in the wilderness. As is written, he gave him bread from heaven. Jesus said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And they're thinking, sourdough? <laughs> uh, what kind of bread are we talking about here? And then he says, no, for the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives his life unto the world. Then say they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Sounds like a good deal. I mean, where do I get that bread? That I wow. And Jesus said unto them, I'm the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger and never thirst. But I say unto you, you've not seen me, you don't believe not. And then uh, it goes on in verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They don't get it. They don't understand. He's using one portion of bread. You're hungry, you eat bread, you're satisfied, you're spiritually hungry, you eat me, you'll be eternally satisfied. He's at a well, he's at a Jacob's well, and, uh, and he's got nothing to eat, and he says, he's, I just had a great meal. Oh, I says, it was so good. Meat, boys, meat. I have meat to eat that's so satisfying. And they're saying, anybody give me any meat? In John 4, 31, John 31, the meanwhile, the disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. He said unto him, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him out to eat? Jesus said to him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And then he says, say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the harvest, for they are white already to harvest. He's saying, see that harvest out there, boys? That's my meat. That makes me so satisfied to bring those people to salvation, bring those people to heaven, ransom them, rescue them. That's meat. And they're scratching their heads saying, how do we get left out of this great meat? Where's that meat at? They're looking for the New York steak. You know, he's talking about souls. Lazarus, Lazarus, he's, he's trying to tell them about Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, he says, he's sleeping. Lazarus is sleeping. They don't get it. They think, well, anybody give him a pillow? Is he really having a good rest? You know, John 11, 11, these things said he, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus speak of his death. And they thought that he had spoken of taking the rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Like you boys are dead. Lazarus is dead. You're not getting it. So he's always doing this. He's constantly looking at the scene and he's talking about something else. That, and he's getting frustrated because they're not getting on the same wavelength. Well, after all that, the passage ends in verse 12. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, it took a long time for the light to go on, but it finally went on. I wonder if he says that about us, too. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and that he didn't give up, and he never gives up, and that's wonderful. And we thank you, Lord, for your patience with them, your patience with us as we 
move along in your classroom. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.